Welcome to another episode of Taming Tech, the podcast. I'm Kathleen Auger. And I'm Paul Auger. This is episode five. So if you want to find the show notes of this, is taming.tech forward slash five. In today's episode, Paul speaks to Jenna Birchall. I do. It is quite, quite nice, actually. I enjoyed it, and you're going to enjoy it too. Jenna Birchall is an award-winning South African artist. Jenna integrates technology into her art. It is, makes the artwork transformative. It comes alive. It is really something to experience. We were fortunate enough to first experience Jenna's artwork in 2016 at a sculpture park called Nirox in South Africa, just outside Johannesburg. It was an experience of the ages. It was transformative. It was something that you cannot actually put into words, which is what I'm battling to do is actually put into words. We arrived at Nirox and it is a beautiful sculpture park. There's massive sculptures, there's small sculptures, there's international people, there's local people and all who've done these sculptures. And we walked around and they were all very good and we were all very impressed and it was, it was really brilliant. But we then found an empty area. Well, it wasn't empty. There were sort of like there were rocks on plinths. And we walked closer going, what is this? What, what is happening here? And what actually happened was that we moved closer to these rocks and they started humming. There was a resonance that was coming from these rocks, which was amplified from the plinths that actually had microphones, well, not microphones, speakers inside them. And as you got closer to this, the resonance of the rocks came through the speakers. It's like your presence activates the yes. artwork. It, it's incredible. As Paul says, it's difficult to put into words. It's really something you want to experience for yourself. And if you ever get the opportunity, please do. A cheat way of experiencing it is during the episode you will hear some of the sounds that it's created and if you're watching this on youtube you'll be able to see the video of jenna interacting with this but if you want to experience it as close as possible without experiencing it in real life go to jennabirchall.com and experience jenna interacting with her artwork interacting with her sculptures for yourself so we had this incredible experience and we were blown away by it, as you can tell. And then we met Jenna in person about 18 months afterwards. So we met her and we asked her what she did and she you told know, us. Just being polite, you know, so like you meet a new person, you go, hey, what do you do? And she told us and we acted like a couple of groupies. We were like, oh my word, we've experienced your art. We know exactly what you're talking about. Let us tell you about your art, basically. Yes. Um, yeah. How come Jenna is on an artist on a Taming Tech podcast? A technology podcast. It doesn't technology make sense. Technology podcast. I'm confused. Why is this happening? What what possible... Oh, wait. I know because we sort of like talked about this beforehand. Jenna has taken technology and has integrated it with her artwork. It's not just in her Songsmith range, which is one of her latest ranges, but she also does it with paintings where she collaborates with other artists. Yeah, I think Jenna's always collaborating. She's mm. collaborating with the earth. She's collaborating Ooh, I like that. with sound. Um, yeah, she collaborates with other artists. So we felt that this was an appropriate podcast to have Jenna on because she works with technology. 
And as much as we love technology, we don't love technology just for the sake of technology. We love the intersection of the human uh, being, the human organicness um, and technology. We like that. That really turns us on. So Jenna has taken that and used technology in a way that certainly prior to this experience, we had never seen before. And we really thought that was amazing. This brand and this podcast are called Taming Tech. And the reason why we said Taming Tech was a good brand name was because we'd like to simplify technology. We like to take technology and tame it for people, whether it's doing a course, whether it's explaining a concept. And we've always done that. We've always explained and tried to get technology to be as simple as possible and as effective as possible. And it's quite ironic because Jenna's actually tamed the earth and put tech inside it. She's actually brought forth the resonance of these rocks, these sculptures, and ex you can experience the resonance. You can experience millions of years of history through technology. There's a whole different experience. There's a whole different exploration of which, what technology can do that Jenna brings about in her artwork. But enough about our thoughts. Let's jump into the interview with Jenna and hear her thoughts. As a Jenna, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Paul? <laughs> Very well, thank you. Um, I see that you are not in Johannesburg right now. You are down in Cape Town. Yep, I'm sitting in Simonstown today. And what is the weather like outside there? Um, sunny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, we're going to move off the weather conversation very, very quickly then. Okay, yeah. what, we, what we like to do is we like to start off with with what is called the quick questions and we call it the three okay. Q's, the quick questions to allow listeners to get to know you quickly. So here we go. If you could take a year off from work, what would you do? That's a really funny question because in an arts career, you often take a year off to do things. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I find like in, in an arts career, you tend to have a year that is like in production and a year that's in making. And pretty much it's my dream job. So I, when I take my dream year off, yeah. say, um, I spend the year, like it might be traveling, it might be like researching, gaining insights. Um, it might be upgrading my studio, which is one of my favorites, DIY. Yeah. Or it could be building new works, exploring new topics. Um, but what I love the most is that it's a, it's kind of a very experimental space. So you spend a lot of time kind of messing about. A lot of your works are like high risk, high reward type of situations. So you, you have a couple of sculptural failures or yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of like a year of just pure self-exploration. And, and because you can take a year off, if you do have failures during that time, it actually, it's okay. You're not sort of like, under time pressure, you're not under a complete deadline, which is quite nice. Yeah, look, there's always pressures and there's always some deadlines. But mm. I, after seeing the kind of rhythm in my business, I started kind of encouraging this behavior for myself. So I'd have a year where I really put into being like out there and producing and exhibiting. But in this particular off year, it's, yeah, it's it's got a lot of liberties and you can take those types of risks without the fear of not meeting a deadline. If you had to add one cool feature or unusual feature 
to your dream house, what would it be? Oh, um, yeah, so I would remove the house and I would make the whole space a studio <laughs> with a little okay. lofty bed at the top. So just, just nicely glazed so no dust gets in there. But okay. yeah, essentially I'd flip my, my domestic and work situation around. <laughs> okay, I like it. So that the, all the floors would be covered in canvas or sort of like um, drop sheets, tools everywhere. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what is the best gift you have ever received, either from yourself or from someone else? Ooh, okay. There has definitely been some good ones. You know, I'm, I'm going to go for a classic. Um, the best gift I ever received was a trip to Europe when I was quite young. And my parents said to me, okay, guys, this is this big, but pick, pick three countries you want to go to, and we're going to find a way to make it happen. And, and that literally changed the course of my entire career. So I would say that's the gift. Okay. What, what, what were the three countries you chose? Uh, we went to London at the time I had never been. We went to Florence and we went to Venice. So the Beautiful. big, the big art capitals in the Europe area kind of thing. What would you name a pet? Ah, yes. So I name pets aspirational names. So based on, I think, uh, like if I had a really like floofy chubby cat, I'd probably name it something really elegant. Okay. Um, yeah. Like Mrs. So yeah, I always like to. No, no, that's not aspirational. Okay. It would be like. It would be like uh, Gigi because it's oh. like French and charming and petite. <laughs> so, <laughs> is it aspirational for you or for the cat? Well, hopefully both. Okay. <laughs> okay, last question. Do you have a guilty pleasure like bad reality TV or something like that? Yes, I definitely do. Um, I love to sing all the time my my cat thinks it's revolting <laughs> and ironically even though i have great pitch and great hearing for compositions the voice did not come along with that <laughs> <laughs> i'm very sorry to hear that that's that's very disappointing thanks yeah it is <laughs> okay so to get to the the meat of the of the actual questions now and to the meat of the the, the podcast I actually just read an interesting article the other day called The Rise of Technology in Art from a website called bearconducted.com. And they talk about uh, 3D printed art and interactive art and online art and augmented reality and stuff like that. You include technology in your art, in your sculptures, Have, but you've been doing this since 2007. Has it always been part of your your um, your art, having the technology included, or is it something that you involve, evolved into? Yeah. So for me, including technology and art started in my uh, the honors year of my arts degree. So the, the the kind of formative language of my art career was there from the start. Um, kind of like inescapably so. It's it's a case of your language chooses you more often than not in art. Okay. So I, I like often get like painter envy or like 2D envy, like people who can walk into a like an art show and just hang something on the wall. I'm like, oh, those bastards. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, including tech and art is has never ever been an easy thing, um, especially mm. back in 2007. For the people who are watching this on YouTube, there's going to be a short video clip. But for those who are listening, Jenna. 
what what exactly is happening in this in this clip? So what you're seeing or not seeing in this video mm. is an art piece of mine from a collection called Songsmith. And um, Songsmith is about embedding these golden instruments into the cracks of objects or the gaps in places. Um, in particular, in the one you know in front of us is a rock that's been found in pieces. It's been repaired with a golden seam, kind of alluding to that Japanese art of Kinsikugo. What's it? Kinsikuroi. I think so, yes. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's Kinsugo or uh, Kinsikuroi. It's both and. Um, so, yeah, what I'm doing is using that golden seam as an instrument that's sensing human proximity. And it's allowing the rock to reveal a song um, that is. It's kind of acting like a vessel that holds within it a piece of information about the world that's otherwise very hard to access or see. In this case, we're hearing the ground's electromagnetism from beneath where I found the rock. And it kind of comes out as that very whaley, unusual, sometimes discordant song. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of sometimes call these my, my singing rocks. Um, and the idea is that when a person approaches a rock and brings their hands near to the songsmith theme, that it sings and reveals the sound. I think like ultimately the feeling that that people get from this is the feeling of time and the feeling of deep time, like time that's difficult to comprehend and understand to us. Mm. I mean, the recording itself goes down a couple meters into the earth, which is eons of time that we're really listening to. The, the, the sound that's actually coming out, is that the resonance of the rock or the resonance of the person interacting with the rock? So that is the resonance of the earth from you know like a kind of the the bigger rock that this tiny piece broke off from oh, that okay. makes sense so like the the big whale <laughs> the the rock is kind of like the tip of the iceberg but the song is the iceberg under the water i my interaction with you actually goes back further ago than actually before i met you and um, we saw your and uh, my wife and i saw your singing stones or your singing rocks at Nurox at a sculpture um, park in Johannesburg. It's, it, it was one of the most impactful parts of that sculpture park for us. It was, it was powerful, it was contemplative, it was um, unusual. And have you had other people tell you what your artwork has meant to them? Because it's, yeah. it's very unusual. Yeah, and that's um, like I, I have a strong belief or working theory in my practice that when something comes from a very authentic place and it works with um, the world around you, it works with universal human experience that, you know, it allows more people to connect with it. And because it's offering a universal experience, a universal language, um, it allows each person to bring their own personal life to the to the equation and they will find their own connections to the work, their own meanings to the work. And I've had 
I've had very, very strong responses to this particular body of work, probably because it was created from a very strong experience in my life. Um, but definitely I've had people that are very, I mean, it's taken me aback often. It's been very surprising. And sometimes I feel, I'll look at that work and I think, did this really come from me? It doesn't really feel like something that I made. It feels like something that was made by many people and many experiences and many interactions, you know? Um, so yeah, it's big emotions. I, I guess it, it really brings people's emotions to the surface. So now you, you have mentioned that it, it comes from a very strong place. It comes from a very, um, powerful place for you where you sort of like you you've constructed this what what is that what is that place that it comes from so um when songsmith started uh which is about five years ago now mm -hmm. um maybe just less i i had lost my uh life partner and i was going through a a major fracture and i had to start looking at how to rebuild who i was and rebuild the parts of my life that had been kind of completely and inexplicably changed. So like finding these rocks and these are the subtle things in the work that I feel like communicate to us on a, on an intuitive level mm. is looking at the, the fractured rocks and working in a, a golden repair, highlighting the fracture, but like bringing out of the fracture, a greater story, a more universal story. Um, and then offering a, a song to that story, like one that has connections to the world, connections to life, connections to death, connections to rebuilding. I don't think there's a single human on this earth that can't relate to that feeling in one way or the other. Now, look, I mean, that's that's beautiful. The the mournful cry of the of the the stones, just it's it's something that's sort of like it gives me goosebumps it's sort of like it raises the hair on my the, the not on my head on the back of my neck <laughs> um it's 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 exquisite it's ethereal it's yeah there's, there's so many words to describe it and i'm actually running out of words it just it's it's beautiful <laughs> it really is i think that it's important to note that they're also very uh joyous they they celebrate yeah. strength and repair mm. And instead of focusing on the trauma of a break, it, it, it kind of rejoices in it and says like, there's so much power in, in highlighting it and rebuilding it and like making it beautiful again. And, mm. and again, it's something in a sense, aspirational, it speaks towards hope and towards beauty and beauty in the disrepair of something even. So now look, technology is one of those things that we've invented, we've used um, to record ourselves, our thoughts, our speech, our images. You using this artwork um, to hear the resonance of the rock, it almost feels like it, you can hear the resonance, the resonance of your own body um, when you interact with it. Um, you're normally this, a viewer of art. And if you talk about the two-dimensional en envy, the painting envy, you, those people, you stand in front of a, of a painting and you are separate from the artwork. You, you observe the artwork. With yours, you are observing the artwork as, a, as, a, as an audience member, but you also then make the artwork come alive when you sort of like move your body closer to it. That's, that's, that's quite a thing. It, 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 it changes and becomes a performance piece. 
Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, it's like you mentioned earlier, looking at uh, the company Bear Conductive, who they're very strong advocates of getting technology into the hands of people who maybe don't always have access or knowledge or experience with technology, but they encourage that intermingling of life, the world with the digital. Mm. And that's, you know, for me, that's exactly what comes to the forefront in, in my practice is looking at how can we integrate this man created thing? How can we use it? How can we work with technology, work with the digital and integrate it into the analog world in a way for me that is sensitive and feminine and nurturing because for sure we need to balance the scales of technology used for power or technology used in extremely masculine ways uh, for corporate use or whatever it may be we need a voice that also balances that and says here are some sensitive ways we can use it here are some organic ways we can use it here are some ways we can integrate it with the world in order to create powerful meaning, powerful experiences. So, I mean, I guess one of the big drives for me is looking at using something like technology and making it feel more natural in the world and making it feel part of a world instead of not of this world. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. It does. Look, the, I think the thing is that, that your art has almost a almost a transitive property it's of like it's a sculpture and a performance piece um and i think i think that's what technology is for me so like if you've got a cell phone the cell phone is just a hunk of plastic and metal and glass and it does nothing it just sits there but when you when you interact with it it becomes a phone and a web browser and things like that and i think that's kind yeah. of what your art does too it's of like it's it's beautiful to look at but it's it's of like it's it's interactive it's it it yeah. becomes more than what it actually is when you interact with it. And each person's yeah. experience will be different. Was that, was that your intention? Was that your intention when you made the, the sculptures? That, you know, intention is a, a weird placeholder for me because this was just my natural language and art, connecting to people and looking for ways they can connect in return. So the only language that I know is one where people and places and communities are central to my meaning making. Um, I don't want any work to, in a sense, be completed entirely by myself. It's all work built through a process with other people. It's work shown in a process or, or a performative play with other people. Mm. And, you know, sometimes, you know, to keep my sanity possibly, but I call them uh, living sculptures just to kind of bring my, create a mind space around what they are like, the way that they organically perform with their environments, with their physical nature, with the people around them. And all of those things are in a dance with each other in a kind of performative, interactive dance. And what comes out of that is so situationally dependent it's not always guaranteed. There aren't any like hard answers or absolutes in this equation. It's more of an allowance. It's an allowance to let things unfold as they will and a relinquishing of control over how something will enact in the world, how technology might respond to people, how people might respond to technology. You've used technology differently than a lot of people. 
And when I was on your Instagram, I saw that that you use um, electrodes, you've stitched electrodes into a canvas. Um, you've used the gold um, repair on the rocks. What what kind of tech do you actually use? I mean, what is what is your favorite type or what, what sort of like inspires you? Or is it just depending on how you wake up in the morning? <laughs> um, so my particular forte or um, niche is capacitive technology. So it's always about frequencies and it's always about touch or human proximity. Um, a lot of the tech I work with is about earthing. So I'm pretty confident that my work wouldn't really work on Mars or like the moon. So, you know, maybe my future is a bit limited. <laughs> but the idea is, is it's often about our connection with Earth um, on a science technological level and it's about frequencies that run between objects and people look i mean if you if you were going to get a rock from mars um <laughs> the the resonance could be quite interesting it would be a pretty tough job to record that resonance i suspect it could be <laughs> i'd it have to you be. know fly to mars just take my machinery and do a recording so well yeah if you want people to like to to donate to a patreon or something like that or a kickstarter <laughs> campaign to sort of like get you to mars i, I think that would be a good one to do send jenna to mars <laughs> yeah. yeah for years there's always been a, a saying called the ghost in the machine um yes. where it talks about computers or bugs or things that happen a spirit that happens in a machine whether it's a computer whether it's a mechanical something and it's something that's almost unexplained. It's something that's sort of like, you can't put your finger on. Now you are, are recalling or bringing out the sound from this rock or skull or whatever it is. You're bringing out the information that's been buried. You're almost recovering the data. You're recovering in information. You're almost a, mm. an archivist of resonance. Are you, are you retrieving the past with your art or are you creating something brand new? I, I really do see it more as a recording, a um, data gathering. A, it's something that exists and it, in a sense, it kind of takes timeline out of the equation very often. And it, it muddles up ancient history with history, with the presence right now. And yeah, it's, it's, it's like being an archaeologist of data in a way. It's, it's looking at what could be there and asking how could I capture it? How could, if I can't capture it directly, what kind of metaphor can I use to describe it? And, you know, often I, at the moment, have a palette of sound making where most artists have a palette of colors and they, they paint with it. For me, it's like a palette of sound making. And I have ways that I work with recordings of the earth and deep time. I have ways of working with the mind and what is going on inside our brains in the present context. And I have ways of recording like narratives of, of life and history. So each of them mm -hmm. have their own way of kind of like collecting and revealing data that, you know, as you say, as we would otherwise have no idea was present. I... I'm a mathematician and I'm a coder and I'm a web designer. So when I'm when I'm designing a website, I need to use logic and I use need to use creativity. Your your art is almost a convergence of logic and creativity. 
Can you, can you take us through a little bit of your artistic process? Yeah, actually, that's a really great question because, you know, it's um, when we're looking at things like cognitive behavioral psychology, like the way that our mind functions and problem solves, um, I spent many years trying to find a way to switch between these mindsets about like quicker and quicker, the mindset of logic and the mindset of creativity. And at first, this was a very kind of traumatic switching. So I'd be in the studio and I'd have to go into programming or maths or some type of scientific logic. Mm. And I would get lost in that process. But then to switch my mind over to something aesthetic and something conceptual and creative. I mean, there are crossovers, of course. You need creativity mm. to, to code and to create anything. Um, but in particular, I found that I had two distinctive mindsets happening. And for years, you know, it was quite difficult switching between them until I could kind of easily transition between the two. What's a benefit of this whole experience is the idea of really bringing the arts mindset and that uh, conceptual meta thinking into a space of technology and also vice versa, bringing technology into the space of arts. You start looking at things more uh, esoterically and you start asking questions as you say what is the ghost in the machine and yeah. i found you know time and time again i'd be going down an extremely logical path integrating it with my art and i'd just hit this this wall where the tech is just not performing the way it's been coded to perform it's it's not following its scripts it's not following <laughs> all the application notes it should be following and yeah. especially because yeah um, I'm pushing tech out of its comfort zone more often than not, out of its like standard use parameters. And I'm asking mm. it to do something uncomfortable. <laughs> and you'll end up with very strange, weird occurrences that, I mean, I've had artworks running on a, on a test late, late into the night. And like, it was about five of these artworks I was, I was testing over the course of a few days. And I just remember this one night waking up to all of them just like singing at the top of their lungs. No apparent reason, nothing wrong with the code, nothing like had changed. So I'm like, yeah, the ghost in the machine. It's, it's a very <laughs> real confrontation for me to, to accept that things, mm. things that are meant to be one plus one equals two are not always exactly that. The people who have your artwork, that, I mean, you've got artwork throughout the world. Do you, do you feel like a, I don't know, like a, a mommy or a, a parent or something <laughs> that, that says, oh, you have to treat it well. I'm sort of like, I'm not going to sort of like allow it to be in your space if you haven't treated it well. Is it, is it that kind of thing or does it not have that kind of special connection with you? Um, yeah, it, 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 it's a little bit like that. Um, I don't produce many artworks in a year. It's, I mean, they very, very labor intensive and balancing their ecosystems are, it's a very delicate thing. So mm. definitely I assess my buyers before selling to them. And if they aren't going to live up to my expectations, they can't, <laughs> they can't buy it. Because at the end of the day, um, technological art has no precedent in ownership. And by that, I mean, for centuries, we've been selling paintings and we know how to take care of these and maintain them. But mm. when it comes to technological art, this is a very, very new thing in our lives. And people buy it thinking it's just magic and that it doesn't even need power 
or or it's just going to yeah. last forever. And and we all know that's not going to be the case with technology. It needs servicing. It needs TLC. It needs maintenance. So yes. when I sell a work, I'm selling a long-term relationship. And if people aren't the type of people I want to have a long-term discussion with or interaction with, then definitely I'm not going to sell the work to them. Where does your logic and creativity actually come from? What is what is it inside of you that sort of like brings this forth? Yeah, my dad's a civil engineer and my mom's a teacher. And I feel like the little crossover between those two genetic packets makes makes this. <laughs> and I found <laughs> I just found like a, a deep curiosity for how things work and a fascination with making things. Yeah. But I also have a, a storyteller within me that wants to find out why something is the way it is. So inevitably, um, I ended up with this this language of, I can't separate technology and sound from my thinking when I'm creating work. If somebody told me to create a work that had neither of those two facets, my, my brain literally just shuts down. I'm like, uh-uh. But if someone tells me to work with it, I have a million and one ideas. And that mm. for me is always the clearest indication of the direction or the path to follow. Well, your work has technology woven through it, whether it's actually electrodes or um, electrical currents or anything woven into your work. In your mind, are you taming the tech by putting it inside a, another piece or are you actually setting it free? Yes, so good question. <laughs> I found at first when I started this this journey that I was trying to tame it. And I was trying to tell it how it should act, how it should behave, how it should integrate, how it should respond to people. And I initially wanted to control every element of that equation. Over the years of experience, um, and I think this is true universally for life too, is you have to learn to, to let go of complete control and uh, especially with technology, I've learned that by embracing those moments of the ghost in the machine, by embracing those moments that make no logical sense to me and working with that, I have found my strongest voice. In fact, the entire Songsmith project came from one of the biggest failures I've ever made in my career. Like I had tried to force technology to do something it just couldn't really do. And when I recognized the, the kind of problem and I recognized that it was a dead end of that particular tech application, I started thinking, well, how can I use this error to my advantage? And that literally also just started the whole uh, direction of my Songsmith technology is working from a place of complete failure with technology, working with its failings. And a time and time and time again, I have experienced that. Whenever I try and enforce my will upon it, it falls apart, it falls flat, it loses vitality, it loses meaning. But when I embrace it, it comes alive. It feels organic, it feels emotional, it feels human. And it's exactly that line that my work always tethers upon. Is it tameable? Is it untamable? Should you tame it? Should you not? It's a, it's a very valuable lesson for life as well. You're right. It really is. It's, it's do you yeah. sort of like, do you force things to bend to your will or not? Yeah. I have actually a great uh, real world example of, of this exact 
equation resulting in something untamed. Um, mm. I have a, a collection of public works uh, here in Stellenbosch at Spear Wine Estates. There's about 12 of my songsmith sculptures out in the field. Okay. And, you know, the client would phone me and be like, ah, your rocks are singing. I'm like, well, when are they singing? No, every time it rains, every morning when there's dew. So I'm like, okay, I beat my head up for months trying to fix this, this programming error, you know. <laughs> then I'm like, no, 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 wait a second. That's kind of beautiful. Yes. Like, let's let these rocks sing when it rains. At the time, they were going through like a massive drought. They're just coming out of that. So I'm like, this is a celebration. Let the tech sing. Let the tech sing. I, yeah. I love that. I love that. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you very much. If people want to be able to get hold of you, see your works, where is the best place to find everything? You can find me on Instagram at Jenna Virtual and definitely my website, jennavirtual.com. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Jenna, and thank you for your time. You're welcome. It was fun. All I can say is, did you close your eyes during that sound? Did it move you as much as it moved us? Did it move you? Yeah. I found it quite moving to hear the story behind um, Jenna's artwork and how it came about. I loved how she explored the fracture that was created in her own life and how she explores fractures on the earth. And I think that it speaks to us on so many levels. Um, I love the, it's almost like I want to say hope for the broken. Um, the, I got goosebumps so many times during this interview. It is, it's just beautiful. Um, I love the concept of using kintsuki, the golden joinery that Japanese artists use. I think it originated actually in, with ceramic artists. I love the way how she's taken that um, technique and explored it. And I think that talking about the brokenness of a rock and the brokenness of the earth is incredibly relevant in our world of our climate crisis. Um, and how we are broken and how we have broken the earth in some ways. Um, so yeah, I think that that was incredible. I love that it's not a depressing thing, that it gives us hope. Um, I love that you use the word um, ethereal because I think that what Jenna's artwork does and what it brings to the fore is almost like the angels of the earth. She's bringing mm. sounds and oh, yes. um, this musical of what the earth has experienced it's it's organic it's universal as she said i love the fact that she said she loves singing um and she doesn't think she has the greatest voice <laughs> and yet here are these she's made rock sing i mean yeah. that's incredible that's just like wow it's mm. it's it's wonderful i really really enjoyed that the thing that i took from it was that in 2017 kathleen and i were quite burnt out and we did a sabbatical and one of our first things that we did is we decided that we wanted to try and do a bit of pottery you know sort of like a bit of arty stuff and Kathleen said would I like to come along and I was like yeah okay I'll I'll humor my wife and um I went along humor your wife that's so not how it happened but that, that's true that's true but let's sort of like stick with me <laughs> And when I went to pottery, 
there was a, a transformation and it was about the healing. It was about spending time with people who were artists, who were spending time with people who were creating things. Some people were really good at it. Some people were really bad at it. I was really bad at it. And I enjoyed playing in mud. I enjoyed the creation of the pottery. And if this is, if this is even a slight bit of what Jenna's getting from her artwork and her sculptures, I celebrate her. Absolutely. Art is definitely healing. And I think that often a really great artwork is about how you respond to it. What feelings does it elicit in you? Any artwork that elicits emotion, the artist has achieved what they set out to achieve. They don't dictate the emotion because it's kind of like a mirror art. It mirrors what you're feeling inside of you. And that's what makes art really great. And that what that's what makes Jenna's artwork really amazing because it changes all the time. And when you experience Jenna's artwork, it's like you're in a collaboration with the artwork because it's going to make a different sound when you interact with it. Um, and it depends on the day and the weather and a whole bunch of things. Um, getting to the technological aspect of it, I love the fact that you guys explored um, is she taming tech or is she unleashing tech? I also thought it was really interesting how she spoke about how her greatest breakthrough came when she experienced a failure in the technology and it wasn't doing what she wanted to do. Um, and that's something that ha often happens in artwork or when you're creating something. Sometimes you have an intention for the thing that you want to create, but sometimes you need to collaborate. Sometimes the medium that you're working with has kind of a mind of its own and perhaps this might actually encourage people to also view art if you haven't really experienced art or you think art is not for you um perhaps this will give you a different take on it creativity is such a such a different word it, we often have this black or white feeling about art or creativity we think we are creative or we're not creative but there's many different ways in which to be creative a developer is creator a coder is creative uh creator um there's a gardening is creative. There's a lot of different ways to be creative. You can live your life in a creative way. I think that this interview with Jenna demonstrates that creativity and technology are not mutually exclusive. They really sit well together. And we can't all make technology sing the way Jenna does. But I think some of us should try. Our next episode has Lalo Carroll, who is a technical account manager for Sador. And they specialize in SAP One. And SAP One is for more of the SME type of business. And they do setups and they also sort of like help businesses work with the software and also look at how the businesses could be influenced or even improved using the software. Yeah, I think they really look at the solution aspect of the software solution and how to improve the efficacy of businesses through the software that they sell. Once again, I'd like to encourage you to go to jennavirtual.com. Um, if you can't spell that, or you're running out right now, it is on taming.tech forward slash the number five, and that is episode number five. All the show notes are there, including videos of Jenna's work, this podcast in video form, and all the links to all the different collections that Jenna has. So subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
I can't think of anything else right now. And so you don't miss the next episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Take care. We'll see you in the next episode.